Um, I'm going to be reading from Luke 1, 39 to 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? Uh, sorry, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The greeting that I address you with and um, I have addressed you with before, I feel like is central to preaching and hearing the gospel. It comes from the text just before this one that we read, in which Gabriel comes to Mary and for the first time to creation delivers the good news of Jesus Christ. So when I say to you, hello, St. Clair, the Lord be with you, I'm coaxing your heart and my heart right back to that story in which Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hello, favored one, the Lord is with you. And if we don't realize our position in that story, then we have no business singing Mary's song or the song that she sung to Elizabeth. Essentially, the movement of preaching the good news from the angel to the world. So St. Clair, the Lord be with you. Thank you. We're going to go back into that text where Gabriel engages Mary, and um, for the first time, the Lord... um, sends this news of what is about to happen in the world um, to this young woman. And I want to look at it through the lens of hospitality. I want us to think about hospitality as we listen to Gabriel and Mary interact. And when I talk about hospitality, I want us to think much more broadly than even broader than this idea of welcoming the stranger Uh, through our door or loving the stranger, right? Um, In the Greek text, if you break the word that we translate uh, hospitality down, it's uh, etymologically created by by two words put together, and that's love and stranger. 
And so when the early church thought of hospitality, it thought of strangers and love. Um, and often we, we kind of bat that word around a lot these days, but if you really kind of think about the movement of hospitality and what is at work in hospitality, it is the willingness to allow conflict through your door and being okay with that. To allow a stranger, someone who is other, someone who is different from you, who thinks different from, from you, through your door and invite them to your table is immediately a willingness to say, I can make room for conflict. And of course, the church can't do this on its own, and Mary can't do this on her own. It's only because God has first committed God's self to hospitality. So the church and Mary, as we will read, can make this movement of hospitality, this movement of being okay with conflict, because God first made that move. And of course, we need to hear these words, and we need to really let them soak deep into our lives, um, because it is from this position, it is from this willingness to abide in conflict out of love that Mary is able to believe all the things that the Lord has spoken to her, which, as we will see, are, you know, is good news, but it's first incredibly strange. It's first a point of great conflict, actually in many ways, for Mary. Um, but it's from that place of hospitality that Mary is able to say and, and bring this good news that, say, that says, oh, you know what? The hungry are going to be filled with good things. Those who lack won't lack anymore. Those who have way too much are going to be given the gift of, of hunger. They're going to be sent away empty. So the one thing that they've never known right? It's, it's from this place that, that, we, um, that we hear these words, and we're able to preach them in this season of Advent. So I want you to listen to this text, um, and, it is the, it is the, and I want you to hear the, 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 the movements of hospitality that are happening between the living God through Gabriel and Mary. So it was six months um, after Elizabeth conceived that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a Galilean village called Nazareth. Gabriel was sent to a young woman, a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was from the house of David, and the name of the young woman, this young virgin, was Mary. When Gabriel came to Mary, he greeted her and said, Hello, favored one. The Lord is with you. But Mary was disturbed. She was troubled at the word, at the message, and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. But Gabriel said to her, Mary, don't fear, for you have found favor with God. You have a special place in God's heart. Behold, you, you shall conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, as you will call his name salvation, deliverance. 
you will call this child rescue. He will be called Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob. That is, he'll rule over Israel forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How will this be? For I know not a man. And Gabriel continues and says, he answers her question with, this, with these words. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary, it's for this reason that the child to be born will be called Holy, Son of God. And look, your cousin Elizabeth, your kin, she's also conceived in her womb. And it's now six months for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary responds, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There, um, there are two, two main pieces that jumped out at me as I kind of meditated on this scripture through the week. Um, and if you had ears to hear and you drew close to the text and, these, and the chapters surrounding it, you would be able to pick up a cacophony. Well, cacophony is literally evil sound, so it's not. But a, a, just a an explosion of scripture reverberating off this text. And most of them are about, are, are linking the story um, to the scriptures in which talk about um, women and couples who were barren and God coming to them and saying, actually, you're going to conceive. One of the main stories we have in this one is Abraham and Sarah, and, and Matt was talking about that, that um, scripture last week. And, you know, if you, if you take a moment and you, and you, and you realize that, every, you know, the, the sounds and the scriptures that are coming out through this text are about women who wanted a child, who needed a child, and couldn't, and then get one, you realize that why is Mary in this position? Why, why, why are these scriptures being echoed in a story about a woman who should not be conceiving right now? Right? Um, as I was imagining this text, you know, you, you imagine this angel coming to Mary, and if you could just squish the whole thing into a moment of angelic announcement what would that be you know like when a human interacts with an angel what is what what happens in that moment and you kind of imagine the whole dialogue squished into the moment of hello favored one the lord is with you and you wonder does mary does Ma- is mary disturbed at this greeting because in this greeting is summed up all of these other echoes and she's saying, no, 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 no. I should not be conceiving right now. Why are you coming to me? 
You imagine that this, this announcement from, from Gabriel, from the Lord to, to, to Mary, is conflicting because is because if Mary says yes to this, it could mean in, in the culture, in her culture and in her time, it could mean the end of her life, pretty much. Um, if she gets away with her life, then it means a life of shame, um, reproach, being ostracized. What will people think when I'm with child and I'm not supposed to be with child? This is a this is kind of one of the first places where this message is deeply, a deep conflict for Mary. Secondly, if Mary is able to move, which she, she does, but if she is able to move on from that conflict, there becomes a conflict of who is this God who is going to be incarnate, who is going to come to us as a child, Will I lay this child in a feeding trough? Will God be laid in a feeding trough surrounded by animals? And if this is the case, then my understanding of God and the power of God is going to be turned on its head. And thirdly, and, and maybe most, difficult, most, most, most conflict, is Gabriel is saying, I'm bringing, is God is saying, I want to do this in you. And that is a deep conflict when the, the holy of holies, the living God, wants not only to be incarnate and come and live in our neighborhood and in Mary's life in Nazareth, but live out of her, right? This to, to be made... Um, God is making home first in Mary. Um, and so this message for Mary um, is, a, is, is a message of conflict before it is a good message. Um, or, or it is good in its conflict. And um, Mary must make these moves of hospitality to welcome what God might be doing um, so as to listen and so as to allow it into our life. And one of the most fascinating parts for me about this scripture is the way in which Gabriel uses these echoes from, from, from the story of Sarah and Abraham and brings Mary along as if giving her arm, you know, handholds and footholds as she, as she approaches um, these words, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Um, he brings her along and quotes directly from this interaction between Abraham and Sarah and the, and the angels that come to, come to them. Um, when, the, when the angels, and I'm just going to rehash this story briefly, but when the angels come to Abraham and Sarah, when God sends messengers to this couple, um, one of the angels asks Sarah, who is old in her years and 
there's no way that she's going to become, that she's going to conceive at this age. And the angel says to her, um, is anything too wonderful for God? Is anything too difficult? And that question goes unanswered. But it's funny to me, uh, not funny, it's incredible to me that, the, that Gabriel pulls that question out of the story and hands it to Mary as a statement. The angel says, for nothing, Mary, all of this is possible. These words that I'm speaking to you, you are able to abide in this conflict because nothing is impossible with God. Um, Mary listens to the scriptures being quoted to her and is able to make this movement of faith and so go to Elizabeth and preach the good news to her. And it's no different from us now. We just have the mother of God as our scripture that we go to, right? Or we go through to Abraham and Sarah and all these other wonderful ones. But for us, this woman, this young woman, who makes this move of fidelity in welcoming the strangeness of God's message, um, is where we go to when we hear the good news. And it is actually becoming a conflict to us. It's actually, it's actually much, it's, it's very difficult for us. It's difficult because what will the world think of us um, when we don't line up and we don't look like the world? Or what will we do with a God who is a child before us? Um, a God whose lowliness is so low that we need to get on our hands and knees to peer into a feeding trough at. A God who is humble enough to stand at our door and say, I'm, I'm here. You can let me in if you'd like. You know, I'm, I'm going to be here standing at your door. If you welcome me in, I'll come into you and you into I and we will eat. What will we do with a God who is the lamb slain, standing in the very throne room of God, in the gravity of the whole cosmos, in the center of gravity? That's a, it's a great conflict because it means that the power structures and what power looks like in our world is actually not power at all. And what will we do when we begin to imitate that? And finally, it's a conflict because God wants to do it in your life. God wants to enter into you. You and your brokenness. You and your I can't get it right. I'm just blown away by the way in which God makes home in us, in me. This makes enough room and says, the conflict of your life is no problem to me. It's not a conflict to me. It doesn't have to be a conflict to you. And you can welcome me in, and we'll get to know each other. 
We won't become strangers anymore. Paul uh, is writing to a bunch of um, Christians in the new church who historically would be on the outside of Israel, um, um, outside of basically uh, Mary's home and her tribe, right? Um, and Paul is just in love with these people. He's, he's, he, is, he has come to grips with the conflict in his own, uh, uh, of the conflict that is God living in him, and it has sent him to those who are distant, which were the Gentiles, right? The, the, anyone who is outside of Israel's family. And he writes a letter to the Ephesians, which is a majority a group of Christians that, are, that, are, um, that were outside of Israel's communion, basically. And he says, um, at one time, you were distant and you were apart from Christ. At that time, you were foreigners of the communion and the commonwealth and the political uh, engagement of Israel. You were outside of the festivals. You were outside of the sacrificial system of Israel, and you were strangers of the covenants of, uh, of promise. You were like those who had no hope. You were like those who had no expectation. I love translating hope as expectation these days. Because to have expectation um, is to be awaiting something. But Paul says, you were like those who had no expectation. You were without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were far and at a distance, you've now become near in the blood of Christ, which is you have now become near in the movement Jesus made, the ultimate movement of fidelity, of hospitality, of crucifixion and resurrection. The movement that says, conflict is not a problem to me. I make room in my death and resurrection. I think in this Advent season, um, my friends, St. Clair. My prayer is that you would make space and and you would be able to make space for the living God within yourselves. Not worrying about the conflict of it because God is not worried with the conflict. St. Clair, um, Go let the world know. Go let Hamilton know the room that has been made for us, the hospitality that has been given to us, that we are no longer strangers. St. Clair, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always forevermore. Amen. Amen.